With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. You know, big man, I'm feeling down. Feeling down about my Irish. I was just going to say, are you okay, man? I mean, do we need to take a moment or I, I don't know how yeah. you want to do this. I, I, You know, I'm, I'm here for you. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. It's all relative, you know. Families in good health were above dirt, you know. There's there are bigger things in life than a, a football game. But, you know, I bleed Irish football and it got worked by Bama again. So I'm not too pleased about that. So I'm just wondering are you going to be a breath of sunshine tonight where I just, the show ends and I'm like, man, I feel so much better than when the show began. Is that going to be my takeaway? Of course it is. <laughs> good. God, I'm glad. I just wanted to mentally prepare myself good or bad, you know, but now my expectations are raised. Now I am, uh, I'm looking forward to you Basically breathing positivity into my 2021 lungs. You know what I mean? I am here for you. I am that beacon. This is 2021. We are here. We're together. And the Irish, you know. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, yeah, there's that. But you know what? Here's the deal, big man. I realize that Bama v notre dame it's small potatoes compared to the headlining game based on the result so we start off with the biggest news right and we'll get to the secondary stories we'll get to bama smashing somebody else again but let's start off with the ohio state and justin fields so ohio state clobbered clemson 49 to 28 in the sugar bowl College football playoff semifinal game. Justin Fields threw six touchdown passes. And he got clobbered by Clemson's linebacker. He had some rib issue going on. I don't know exactly what his problem was, but he got blasted right in the side. And he gutted his way out through that thing and threw six touchdown passes. That was, I did not see that coming. Because throughout the season, Justin Fields has been... All right. Like, he didn't look good against Northwestern, had an ugly interception in that game. He took a step back this season. And that performance against Clemson was a, in case y'all forgot, type performance. And for Ohio State to win by three touchdowns, I was stunned by that. I was not anticipating that at all. No. And uh, you know, watching that game, I, I, have, I have quite a bit to say about college football play. As we go through this store, I mean, uh, this, this, these hours and, and, and these stories. Uh, but that was just embarrassing. That was that was a dismantling um, by Ohio State. Now, yeah. I still stand by what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks in terms of. Did they deserve to be there? I'm right. I'm not. Just because they won and they won in this fashion, 
doesn't change the fact that I didn't believe that they satisfied the requirements, number one, to even play in their own Big Ten championship game, but let alone be ranked in the top five, stop top four, mm-hmm. just off sheer number of games. If you look at everybody in that top four, everybody had eight-plus games, nine, ten. And it's just not a big enough sample. You take the Big Ten championship game out. That's five games. Anything could have happened in the other five games or the other four games or the other three games. So you had these teams who had to endure COVID, lose players, Clemson included, Alabama included, everybody lost players. They had to go out there. They had to play games. Mm -hmm. They win 10 games. And then you look and somebody squeaks in with five Real games and then the championship game. I just was I, I I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't agree with that. I agree with you yet disagree with you. I under and and I know exactly why too. Yeah, and I'll try to make this simple to follow because I can have a habit of I don't know making it E equals MC squared at times, you know. And you've got to connect like nine things, and you're like, I think I understand where you're going with this. No, you know, but I initially I disagree with you because. I think that Ohio State should have been one of the top four teams. If you compare them to Texas A&M, my vote would have been for Ohio State. They were a conference champion. Texas A&M didn't get there. They played a couple of more games. Like I don't think that if Ohio State is able to play Illinois and Michigan, I'm expecting them to waltz right through those teams. So that doesn't completely throw me off. You and I just fundamentally disagree initially with who the Final Four team should be. Now, where I agree with you is Ohio State could have beaten Clemson by 50 points. If you thought they didn't play enough games and they didn't have the resume, that win against Clemson changes nothing. Like Their resume is what it is. So either you think it was worthy of them being in the playoff or you think it wasn't. But nothing against Clemson changes that. No, and I'm not saying they're not a good team. That's not the argument. The argument I have is they didn't even satisfy their own conference's guidelines that were set forth prior to the season. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. That's the problem I have. More so probably with the Big Ten than anything. Because you don't make rules and then change them to benefit you at the in in the end, right? So yeah. of course they want the conference, the representative of the conference, to be in the national playoffs. We know that's the, a fact. They want the national champion to come from their conference. In terms of money and recognition, what does that do for the entire conference? And I think that's an interesting point, too, because if the Big Ten never came up with that initial rule, you have to play six games to be eligible for the Big Ten championship game. If they never came up with that rule, I don't know that there's as much pushback about Ohio State of course being not. in the college football playoff, right? We're not, we're if not they're even just talking like, about it. Yeah, right. Like, you might. There'd be some people that say, hey, they played three fewer games than Texas A&M or whatever it was. You'd have some say that, but because they came out with this rule, you got to play six games. 
and Ohio State played five, and the Big Ten was like, you know what? Screw it. That's close enough, right? And, and, like, and you we'll know make how, an exception. And you know how steadfast they've been with their guidelines and their rules, right? Especially during this COVID time. Yes. Right. They've been like, no, very adamant. This is how it's going to be. Boom, boom. Oh, but wait. When you get down to the meat and potatoes of it, they got together, and I guarantee you it was brought up in that meeting. They got a shot to win it all. Imagine what that does for the conference, recruiting, conference why all of these things. Okay, let's let them let's let them get in. If somebody would have been like, "Look, we love Ohio State and congratulations what they've done." They weren't able to put games together. They had plenty of time. They everybody knew. We knew that Michigan was going to they weren't going to play that last game. We knew that. Every 2 weeks prior to the game. We knew that. So what happened? They couldn't find one other game? I They didn't even, I promise you, they didn't even attempt to. I, I They had already made up their mind that that was good enough, right? Because when you look at the conference, the conference, the, the Big Ten did, they, I mean, Indiana, 6-1, and one, Northwestern, 6-1, and one, Iowa, 6-2, and two, right? They, you had teams that were playing extremely well. Yeah, I hear you. And what, it's, Ohio what's State, funny is yep. you ever see a coach on the sideline in a blowout game and the coach is like, all right, we're up by four touchdowns. There are three minutes left. And they're still pacing, right? Yes. Like something could go wrong. I think that's what the powers that be that are, you know, at the forefront of the Big Ten, that's what they were thinking with Ohio State maybe getting upset should they schedule an extra game where they're like, it's a short week. What if they get upset? Like, I agree. I don't think they ever really took steps toward trying to find Ohio State that sixth game. No, because when they canceled the Illinois game three weeks prior to the end of the season, this should have been going, and, and they knew that they might not be able to get six games in, that the, the 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 engine should have been working. Okay, well, we're not playing Indiana. What can we do? Where can we find a game, find a game? So a game should have been lined up when Michigan, two weeks prior, had a COVID outbreak, right? So we knew Michigan, they weren't going to do it. We, we knew that was going to happen. Like that wasn't even, I, I, I mean, was it shocking to you? That that Michigan uh, wasn't going to be able to, to to play that last game. They canceled their last three games. Yeah, they just they had a problem with COVID, right? right? So when they canceled the Maryland game, Ohio State should have been like, okay, we see where this is going because of the guidelines that the Big Ten placed on teams that had COVID outbreaks, right? They imposed those guidelines. Michigan wasn't going to be able to meet those guidelines by the time the the, the kickoff happened for Ohio State. So I say all of that to say they took the easy way out. I'm upset with the Big Ten uh, committee because they changed the rules to benefit them. So what does that say? Yeah. It, it says that you'll make concessions if it benefits you. So That's what's what the point of a rule? <laughs> there really isn't one if you're going to change right? it and to you benefit gotta remember yourself. remember how adamant and steadfast. Remember they weren't going to play football at all? 
We're right. not doing it. We're just not over. Nope. We're not doing nope. it. It's not safe. Right. And then we're going to start later. But this is how it has to go. And then they set forth these guidelines. If someone, if a team gets COVID, they have to go through th- this process. Boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom, boom. And you must at least have six games. All of those rules were set in place. Yeah. Man, you want to talk about a rule backfiring for a conference. I'm sure they had. I, they good were looking at each other like, oh, yeah. God, what have we done? Let's make it six games because there might be a team that could play. Maybe they could say no thanks. So let's make this rule where you got to get to six games, right? If what you if can't Ohio push through, State you should had, push through. Was three and zero. What if That's they were it? three and zero? That's it. I don't think you could push them through. I don't know that, man. We don't know that. (laughs) You know why we don't know that? How does it go? You know why? Because they changed the rule. They did. So So how do we know? I think three. I don't know that. Hey, listen, the Big Ten might have changed the rule where they get into the Big Ten championship game. I don't know if 4-0 is enough to get into the college football playoff. I don't know if the committee is letting them in with that resume. You never know. They're the Big Ten champs. Well, how do you argue that? If they're yeah. not the Big Ten champs and they're sitting there at 5-0, and then that's a discussion for the playoff committee to be like, well, they didn't even win the conference. Yeah, that's for the committee to figure out. I'll tell you what, man. There are a ton of layers about this. We need to get to Dabo Sweeney eventually. <laughs> what role did Dabo ranking Ohio oh, State 11th Dabo. Have on Ohio State's performance against the Tigers. Dabbling Dabo, huh? <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Also, yes, we will turn our attention to Brian Kelly. Some interesting comments he made after Notre Dame losing again. And also this, right around the corner, the man who is bad for college football. We'll explain. I'm Brian though He's he from Salam. This is Fox Sports Radio. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brian No, He's Ephraim Salam here on Fox Sports Radio. We're fighting the good fight against COVID-19. And Ford Motor Company is doing their part by manufacturing and donating 100 million masks to underserved communities. And Ford encourages everyone to join the effort. We are so close to winning this fight. And these next weeks are crucial. Let's hold the line, continue to social distance, wear masks, and look out for each other so we can get back to where we were Together, we can get it done. Let's finish strong. A message from the Ford Motor Company. All right, from Salam, I've got a message from myself, actually. This is not a message from someone else. It's from me. Um, I, think, I think Nick Saban is bad for college football. And what I mean by that is 
I think Alabama is just too good. I think Alabama is so good they hurt the entertainment value instead of enhancing it. <laughs> I think Nick Saban is a lot like when KD joined the 73-win Warriors. And you're just like, really? Like, that's what's going to happen now? You look at the dominance of Alabama. They're going to be in the college football championship game for the fifth time in seven years of its existence. And I could just go down the litany of their credentials where they have been number one at some point in the season for 13 straight years. That stat blows my mind. And it's not as if... They just reach number one in like week seven and then fall off and lose three straight or four or five or whatever. They stay there typically. So I just think that Bama pummeling another team in Notre Dame yesterday. I, I just I'm watching it and I'm like, this just is it's not it's not entertaining. It's not something that's captivating where I rush to my TV thinking, hey, maybe Bama falls this time. I just think Nick Saban, he's done such a good job, and it's actually, it's a weird kind of counterintuitive sort of praise that I'm giving Nick Saban is to say he's too good, and he has that program cranked up so much that I think it's actually hurting college football instead of assisting it. Where do you stand on Nick Saban and Bama's dominance? Well, they have a bunch of pro guys on the roster. Right? So just look at the wide receiver position. The last, Mm. what, eight years? Look at what they've been able to put in. So when you you play against, that's one that I was never one to entertain the notion that um, a team, the number one or the best college team could beat the worst NFL team. Mm-hmm. That's just that's that's it's goofy. ridiculous. Yeah, it it makes no sense. Not even number one close. <laughs> that just that arguments from people who don't understand how hard how actually how hard it is to make it to the 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 NFL. Right, just how hard is it to make it to the NFL? Because only about I don't know what three hundred and fifty kids a year get an opportunity. Right, only two what two eighty get drafted. So when you look at Alabama and their the ability to recruit, guy people go there because they know they're going to the league. It's just a stop. It's a three year stop before you go to the league. The coaching is supreme, superior every position. You know how 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 well you can recruit when you can just point to a wall. And that kid is looking at 15, 20 guys on that wall who play their position who's now playing on Sundays. Yeah. that That's all you want, right? And most of the kids who go to Alabama aspire to what? Go to the league. Outside yeah. of the quarterback position, it's a form system for the uh, NFL. Yeah, and you just pointed to one position group Wide receivers. Just go back to last year. They had Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, both first-round picks. First-round draft picks. You're going to have Devontae Smith, who is unbelievable. And Jalen Waddle's not even playing. He's been hurt. He didn't play a first-round draft pick. He's going to be a first-round. He didn't even play. 
So when imagine you, how much more oh nasty Bamba would be with that guy. So that's another reason why the quarterbacks don't really, you know, pan out for Alabama. You're literally every year throwing to a couple of first round NFL receivers. You don't have to be really accurate to do that. Julio Jones, right? Look, at, I, I mean, you don't have to be extremely accurate when the guy you're throwing the ball to is probably going to make the Pro Bowl his rookie year <laughs> in a couple months. The and pres- some other dudes, it's like Amari Cooper is a stud. Stud. And it's just like, oh, yeah, Amari was there, too. I forgot about him. Uh, it's like, <laughs> it's like and, and, and the list goes on and on and on. And you just got to understand, like, once this has been going like this, the linebackers, right? Look at the, the defensive linemen, the offensive linemen. How many tackles have been taken in the first round from Alabama? They got one that's going to be like the third pick, fourth pick in the draft yeah, this year. And- that was he could have left last year. Nick Saban. They, I was watching that telecast, and Nick and and and, and Joe Clatt said that Nick Saban. Uh, yeah, yes. Sorry, McShay said that Nick Saban was angry at him uh-huh. because he had their tackle rated so high. And he wanted him to come back for one more year, which he did. And now their left tackle will be the, probably the first tackle taken. Right? So think about that. He could have went to the league last year. He didn't. He decided to come back. So now you have a pro caliber offensive tackle playing in college. It's insane what they've been able to build over there over these years and yeah pointing to recruiting when it's just number one recruiting class number one recruiting class number one recruiting class it's just it's insane they've built it into such a machine that ask yourself this if Nick Saban left Alabama let's say he just retired he said I've had enough and the program starts to slip a little bit I think it's reasonable to think that would be the outcome if Alabama comes back to the pack a little bit, not just falls completely off, but comes back to the pack a little bit, would that be better or worse for college football It'd as be a whole? It'd be better. It'd be way better. It'd be better. And we've seen that happen. Remember the Miami teams? Sure. Remember the Florida State teams? Absolutely. Remember the uh, Notre Dame teams? Yeah. Nebraska, Oklahoma. I mean, it just goes on and on. And sometimes there's a resurgence and all of that, but... Yeah, there were juggernauts that fell off because like Miami they had coaches. a national championship team that the whole team went to the league. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody went to the league, everybody was pro bowlers. And look, Miami's actually a good example because they had a couple of different coaches and they were still winning national championships. So it's possible that Bama has built it up to be such a machine that the next guy in charge, they're still one of the teams that's in the mix to win a championship, but we're just seeing like a little bit of slippage, like a little bit, yeah, they'll, and then a they'll little be there. more, and a little more. It'd be better for college football. It wouldn't be great for Alabama fans. It'd be better for college football. 
It, it, I can't it, get over it was, that. It's their it, fifth title appearance in seven years. <laughs> the it, the college football and, and, playoffs been around for seven years. And the good thing is, it they don't win it every year. So they're still like, okay, so teams got a chance to win now. Once they get to that game, mm-hmm. you know, they get hit in the mouth. They didn't even make the game last year. I just like a little variety. I understand. I get it. You know? I, yep. I, we we get it. I, I And you're right, especially in college. Yeah. With my cereal, I, I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I love that, too. That's part I of my mix, cereals, That's part of know? my mix, though. Yeah, it's got to you know, be. I, you know, I'm five, I, I was know five you. deep. I, I was five deep on the mix <laughs> yesterday, and my sons were like, wow, you did five, Daddy? <laughs> five deep on the mix. Uh-huh. Yeah, but great example. You don't just eat one cereal no. and that's it. You like a mixture. That's how I like college football. And you know why? You know why the NCAA tournament is so good? Because you get the mix. You get a mix. You get a mix. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a level playing field. You got to show up and you got to ball out. I don't yeah, care it, what you're ranked. You got to right. show up and you got to play. There are more random outcomes, which I like, right? Because it's it's 40 minutes. There's a three-point line. Almost anything can happen. Right. But if you're going toe-to-toe with Alabama and they have first-round picks and oh, second- and third-round guys and they've got depth and all this, like all of a sudden that anything can happen, it gets a little less and less and less likely when you're going up against that. That's just how it unfolds, man. But when we're talking about dominance here, it's a smooth transition from Salam. Mm. There is a man who is known as a friend of America, the most dominant is he a man? update anchor ever created. He might be a legend, a myth. Oh, no, 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 he's real. He's oh. absolutely real. And his name is Steve DeSager. <laughs> Good evening to you. I, I'm glad you mentioned that Miami Hurricanes team. I'm no Canes fan, but that might be the best team I've ever, ever seen ever. from the 20 whole, years ago. The whole ago. team went to the league. Was it the 0-1 Canes? They won 34 games in a row until that late referees call in the national championship. Which was garbage. But the rest of the country didn't didn't seem to mind because they were sick of seeing Miami winning. I think, honestly, that was the reason. The the double overtime Just the running backs alone. I looked it up. They had as freshmen Frank Gore and Willis McGahee, plus Clinton Portis and Najee Davenport. They they couldn't even – I mean, what? Just the running backs. And Andre Johnson and Ed Reed and Trail Rolls, Jonathan Vilma, Sean Taylor. It was just ridiculous. All of those players were Pro Bowl NFL players. The 2001 Hurricanes team, they had – uh, a blowout win over Florida State, blowout win over a top 20 Syracuse, blowout win over a top 20 Washington. And remember, it was Nebraska got into the Rose Bowl as the national championship game there, and it felt like it was 30 to nothing early in the game. It was just silly how good Miami was. By the way, real fast story for you guys. So tomorrow is my nephew Minnie Matt's birthday. He will turn 18. He, looks he just was like born you. Good the Lord. day of the game that you're talking about between Miami and Ohio State. I was there at the delivery room, and we went in. My <laughs> sister had just given birth to Minnie Matt. And we check in, we take pictures, the whole thing. And I'm like, hey, Christy, 
can we get the game on? That's hilarious. And she goes, B, like, I just gave birth. I'm like, I'll I'll put it on. It's uh, going to be quiet. It's the national championship game. And she let me put it on. (laughs) She let me put it on in the delivery room. Wow. She's fine with it. She's a great sister. That is, you're kidding. You're not kidding. She's a great sister. You're a terrible brother. (laughs) I hope you've made it up in many a birthday (laughs) present since. That kid looks just like you. Doesn't he? Goodness gracious. I was like, man, I didn't know Brian had a grown son. So not many, many me is really what it should be. Yeah, it really is. We look very similar. But, yep, he's my nephew, not my son. Guys, bowl season ends tonight. Thank goodness. This is it. Well, it's not like we've had 40 bowl games this year. doesn't matter. We played roughly 20, canceled roughly 20, and had teams like uh, 4 and 6 Kentucky playing in a bowl game. I can't watch that. Uh, Oregon finishes four and four. By the way, like Cincinnati, that Cincinnati game just that just killed me. Just wrecked your spirit. That just I, the field goal I, I, at the end. And I was just talking so much trash to Brian as oh, the game you were, was going. Oh, I was going. I was going out. Of, I was out of control. If they won, I was going to nickname him Steve. Ephraim Group of Five Salam. That was going to be his new nickname. He was pulling so hard oh. for Cincinnati, and then they betrayed him at betrayal. the end. Betrayal. Here at North Carolina, Texas A&M, it's mid-first quarter at the Orange Bowl in Miami. A&M a 7-0 leader. North Carolina missing four key players, including running back Javante Williams. Earlier, it was Kentucky taking the Gator Bowl 23-21 against NC State, which threw three interceptions. Ole Miss won 26-20 over Indiana at the Outback Bowl, getting a TD with just over four minutes left. The Fiesta Bowl went to Iowa State, ranked 10th. It beat Oregon 34-17. Again, Oregon went 4-4. Four and four. They had the Washington game canceled last month and then got to sub for Washington in the conference final and won it. And what do you know? Here they were in the Fiesta Bowl in Arizona today. Oregon committed four turnovers and only had 17 minutes time of possession out of 60. And that's how they end the season. Texas fired Tom Herman and hired Steve Sarkeesian as head coach, ex of USC in Washington. Yes, Sark will still be Alabama's offensive coordinator for the national title game. The Jets are expected to part ways with coach Adam Gase after tomorrow's finale according to NFL Network. Of course, his team started 0-13 this year. NFL Network also saying Jacksonville is expected to move on next week from Coach Doug Marone with the Jaguars interested in Urban Meyer. Hall of Fame running back Floyd Little passed away at the age of 78 after battling cancer. In college basketball, Alabama winner at number 7 Tennessee tonight, 71-63. It was Texas over Kansas, 84-59 in a top 10 matchup. At Oklahoma, the Sooners beat number 9 West Virginia 75-71. Iowa edge Rutgers 77-75. They're each ranked top 20. And the game on Fox TV today, 11th ranked Creighton on a last second dunk, 167-65. I was like, they're going to just let them dunk? Oh, my God. Providence had just scored at home. And, yeah, coming down the court. Five essentially, left. essentially a fast break dunk as he hit the cutter and got the win in the final seconds for Creighton on the road. I'm, oh, I was like, how do you not stop the ball? Yeah, that is kind of the key to stopping a fast break, really. In soccer, basketball, pretty much any other sport. Uh, Overtime, Oklahoma State won at 13th-ranked Texas Tech, 82-77. Number one, Gonzaga, is only leading 28-25 against San Francisco. Eight minutes left in the first half. And basketball Hall of Famer Paul Westfall passed Mm. away at the age of 70. He was diagnosed with brain cancer last year. Westfall was an NBA All-Star for five straight seasons through 1981. Guys, he was the star guard on USC's 1971 team in L.A. native. That club went 24-2 and 
and did not make the NCAA tournament. The tourney only had 25 teams back then. I believe you had to be conference champion getting in, and John Wooden's UCLA team won the conference just about every year. In fact, February of 1971, Westfall's number one ranked USC team lost to number two ranked UCLA, 64-60. They rematched for the regular season finale. Each team was 24-1. and UCLA won again. Bruins went to the tournament, won the national title. USC did not go to March Madness. Paul Westfall on that team. And many years, of course, remember, played and coached for the Suns in the NBA Finals. Westfall dying at the age of 70. Good stuff, Steve DeSager. I'm Brian No, He's Ephraim Salam here on Fox Sports Radio. By the way, big man, I I can just see things. I can see the logic starting to form. With Texas A&M fans. You know, Texas A&M has a 7 nothing lead over North Carolina tonight. If Texas A&M wins this game, you know as well as I do that you're going to hear a lot of A&M fans say, See, we should have been in the college football playoff, not Notre Dame. And, and I just want to be proactive on this one, right? Let's do a little bit of math here, if that's the outcome and that's the takeaway. North Carolina is without their stud running backs tonight. They're without some other players that have opted out. What do you think North Carolina's chances would be of beating Alabama if North Carolina didn't have their running backs and some other players who opted out? What do you think would be the outcome of that? Yeah. I think that's important, right? You have to consider the competition. It's one thing for A&M to possibly beat beat North Carolina. It's another thing for Notre Dame to have to go up against Alabama. You know what I'm saying? So they, they beating North up, Carolina is nice. I don't know that that proves they, that you should have been there. But that would have the put they would have put up a better fight than than Notre Dame. No, that was. A, I, 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 would they have? They lost by more during the regular season. I, you just know them though. Right? So they play against them all the time, right? So there's something to be said that you know you facing a team multiple times in a year. Ask, I don't buy it. Well, <laughs> I still think. Well, ask Notre Dame and in, in, in Clemson. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, 17 points. Listen, Notre Dame got beaten uh, decisively. I just, I would, if it's um, Bama favored by 17 against Texas A&M, I'm laying the points. I am. I would expect them to win by more than that. Who knows how it would have shaken out, but you could play that game until you're blue in the face, and (laughs) people do it every single year. Like, think about this, big man. Is there more whining with any other sport than specifically college football, do we whine more about who should have gotten into the NCAA basketball tournament or, I don't know, whatever we whine about the most with the NFL or the NBA? No, of course not. You know why? There's more whining in college football than anything else. There might be more whining in college football than everything else combined. But you know why? Because that's the only system that's flawed. That's why there's whining. If you take the flaws out of the system, there's no need to argue. You know where you stand for the NFL playoffs. This is what you have to do. Right. You know where you stand for the NCAA tournament. This is what you have to do. You know where you stand for the NBA uh, playoffs. This is what you have to do. College is the only college football is the only place where it's like if you do this, but maybe sometimes if you do that, well, right. I, I I mean you I, you just don't know. So that's the only 
the BCS was flawed. It was a computer. Like, what? Hello. Now you have this committee. And no one really knows what the criteria is. So there's you gotta, a, it's a yeah, it, it's like a uh, it's flip a coin. Like, we don't know what, what they're doing in there. It's subjective. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, uh, let's talk about that. Let's let's get to that let's because do it. how could you? I don't think that you could work it out completely. Where it's like the NFL, and it's like, all right, if you win your division, you're in, or if you win enough games, you're a wild card, right? I don't know that you could have that in college football, but let's see if we can come up with something that's as close to it as possible. What would it take for college football to rival the NFL? And would it be better than what we have right now? I think that'd be a good discussion. So yep, we'll have it right it. around the corner. Let's do that. I'm Brian No, He's Ephraim Salam. This is Fox Sports Radio. Juan Gabriel. Juan Gis. Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brian No, He's Ephraim Salam here on Fox Sports Radio. All right, big man, if we're looking to greatly cut down or eliminate the whining and complaining that happens in college football when it comes to which teams are in the college football playoff, Texas A&M should have been in there. Ohio State shouldn't have. They didn't have enough games. Notre Dame, they shouldn't be in there. It's just every single year. It's like clockwork. If we are going to either eliminate or greatly cut down on all that whining, what would the system look like? And I think the first thing is you'd have to expand. I would suggest expanding to eight teams. And you would have to have automatic conference qualifying teams. Now, I'm not saying this is what they should do. I'm just saying if you are trying to cut down on all the whining and complaining, that's the way to do it because it's more like the NFL. It's like if you win the NFC East, even if... Whoever emerges has this garbage sub-500 record, you're in, right? So you could sit there and be like, ah, that shouldn't be the case. But it isn't as much complaining as what we have in college football when it's a lot more subjective, right? So you would have to have the Power 5 schools. If you win the ACC, boom, you're in. No questions asked. You win the Big Ten, you could have three losses. Who cares? You're in. I think that would be one of the first steps you would have to take. That's correct. You're absolutely right. And then from then on, you n- the number one thing I think we should do is in order to, to extend the playoff scenario, perhaps we should cap the number of games, regular season games, focus more on conference 
right? So give everybody one non-conference game. Okay. Right? And then focus on the conference. So that'll put us right around nine, what, nine games? That way, when we go into the playoffs, we don't have teams that are at 12, 13, right? Like, so nine games, you get yourself in. And with the expansion, you allow the non-Power 5 conferences to have an opportunity to play for a national championship. That was the whole selling point of the new format. Any Everyone has a chance. It's, we all know that's a farce. That's not true. Yeah, it's not true. So you're diminishing other Division One schools. The, the reason why the NCAA tournament for basketball works is because – Anybody can win the national championship. You, well, you at least you've got you you can settle it on the court. You right? can settle it on yeah. the court, not in a conference room, not on a Zoom. You can settle it on the court, and I think it should be the same way for football. Sell it on the field. Well, how do we meet in the middle? Because we're not going to have a you know a field of 68 teams in college football, right? So how do, if we say we're going to have eight teams, how How do we structure it where it really cuts down on the yard? How about this? How about we have a top 10? Okay. And the one and two seed have a bye. You You got eight teams. you, You got four left. Well, the only problem is you probably have to have uh, math, math. Is, right. We probably have to have twelve, uh, right? No, right. not math. <laughs> Let's. Say, I don't know if I can make this work. Um, I know it would work with six because you'd have the top two the teams one. get the buy, right? Yeah, I don't know how you would do it with ten because if you had the top two seeds, they've got a buy. Then you've got eight teams, so you've got four games. So now you have four teams advance. So you have six teams. All together, right? So you have three games. Yeah, we could do it that way. Sold. That's it. Ten teams. The top ten. You you come. That guess what? That would have put Cincinnati in the playoffs, right? Coastal Carolina would have had an opportunity to get into the playoffs, right? So you take the top ten teams in the country. They all have played nine games, not twelve. And you have a real tournament, a right. real football tournament. And that's fine for me. I'm glad. That's okay, great. So we have the uh, the underdog, the David versus Goliath matchup. Okay, but for me, it's, it's all about this. I, I would point to, of all things, the Outback Bowl, right? If you look at Indiana, they were ranked 11th, and they were 6-1 heading into that game. Old Miss was 4-5. Old Miss won. So the point is, it's really hard to gauge who's better than who. If you're just beating up on teams in your conference, you might look better than you actually are. So I would rather have a bigger playoff field where you are facing each other on the field and figuring it out. I I, get, I understand that. I get that. I, I just think the opportunity is what we don't have. Yeah. All right, coming up next, 
more ball. You know, big man, a little extra motivation never hurt an athlete, you know? And we got a little, well, we got a lot of extra motivation last night for the Ohio State. You had Dabo Sweeney ranking Clemson, I'm sorry, ranking Ohio State number 11 in the coaches' poll, so Ohio State could have looked sideways at that. Like, really? Number 11. You also had Ohio State losing to Clemson the previous season, so that was very motivating heading into this current year. And then also, leading up to the college football playoff, there were a lot of coaches saying, oh, Ohio State didn't play enough games. There were a lot of fans, a lot of media members saying the same thing. All of those things were motivating. Which would you have at the top of the list? What was the greatest source of extra motivation for Ohio State? And not to say they only won because there was extra motivation. Of course, they're going to be motivated to try to compete for a championship. But what was the biggest portion of extra motivation in your mind for Ohio State? It was definitely the um, loss last year. I mean, that they've been outside of the comments that Dabo just made, you know, recently. They've been festering on that loss this whole time, a year. It's been up on the monitors in the weight room. Yep. So whether... Dabble came out and 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 ranked them where wherever it didn't matter. That just added to the fire. Mm-hmm. But they were already locked in. They had a they had a mission to accomplish. One hundred percent agree, and I wish I didn't <laughs> because <laughs> because we could go point counterpoint, right? We're having verbal fisticuffs, but every now and then it's nice to agree. I'm totally with you because. They showed this during the game. They're showing Justin Fields working out in the, in the offseason. And the score is behind him. It's Clemson 29, Ohio State 23. He threw the interception that ended up losing that game. You think about wrestling with something like that. I'm sure he wrestled with it for months. I think that was one of the driving forces why Justin Fields was so vocal about the Big Ten having a season in 2020, right? Like, I don't know if he's pushing as hard if the previous season doesn't unfold the way it did with him throwing an interception in the end zone. And you could sit there and say, well, the receiver, there was some miscommunication, whatever you want to say. He said it himself. He was like, I felt like I let the team down. Dabo ranking them 11th, it's just, it's not on the same level as the feeling that you have that you let your team down. And that's what Justin Fields had. And he had to live with that, though, that feeling for a year. That's hard, man. Yeah. That's hard to just, you know, block out and be like, oh, you know. And that was one of the proponents for him pushing so hard for the season. How else would you get that taste out of your mouth? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and one thing about, you know, my journeys as a professional athlete, when I lost just in a regular week, it messed my whole week up. My wife hated when we lost because now whatever we had planned, I, I was going to be miserable. Mm. To not be able to play the next week and get that taste out of my mouth, right? 
Yeah. That is, they had to deal with that for a year. There was no next week for them. And that's just, you just said losing. Like, think about the next level if you missed a key block oh, and it led God. to a sack and that's what ended the game. Like, oh, that's, that is misery. Yeah. That is misery. I promise you it is. I've been in a game where the game ended on we were driving down the field and I believe it was my second year we were driving down the field in Carolina we were down by five points we were at the 20 yard line and I got off the ball I was looking at the ball and I got off the ball late and I believe it was Kevin Green uh, God rest his soul yeah, who got a jump on me Who's already lined up offside? Just, just <laughs> FYI, he, just, he flirted with the the neutral zone. He took liberties with the neutral zone. He definitely took liberties. I can promise you that. He's one of the first real up, real stand up defensive ends. So he would stand up. His feet would be behind the ball, but his head would be next to mine. You know? <laughs> I'm like, how is this even possible? Uh huh. He's leaning forward He's on a 45 degree angle, and I'm yeah. like, yo, he can touch me. <laughs> <laughs> right? He can touch me. He can reach out and touch me. That's 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 illegal. And he sacked the quarterback, and the ball came out, and he recovered it, or somebody recovered it, and that was it. The game was over. Mm. I, I, I remember flying back home in the back of the plane, just distraught. I remember getting off the plane, and as I was walking to my car, I saw Art Shell, and I said, please don't cut me. Mm. Give me an opportunity to to, 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 to write this, right? Like, mm-hmm. that is hard to do. Now, to live with that as a kid, now, I was getting paid. I'm a professional athlete. For a kid who there is no check no, in, the, in the next morning. Like, no matter what happened in the game, that next Monday, it would be a check in my locker. To not have that, to not have anything, after that game, they were just, go ahead, go home. And to de- have to deal with that, think about that game, think about the throw, think about what you could have done different mm-hmm. for 365 days. And to get back to the moment you can rectify that, that is all the juice you need, especially for a dynamic player. Yeah, that has to be at the top of the list is Ohio State losing to Clemson the year before in terms of extra motivation. Now, I do think Dabo ranking Ohio State 11th had something to do with what happened on Friday night. Well, right? we definitely oh, know extra that. Layer. We, yeah. we, know, we know that because if you watch the players, you know, I don't know if you're on social media, but on Instagram Live, the players were responding to that. Dabo, 11th? <laughs> you ranked right. us 11th? <laughs> well, does that make you 12th? Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. So that was they that definitely was was talked about now. That that added that added to it. Yeah, it certainly registered. Now, we'll start off with Dabo Sweeney. So he was asked after the game, "Hey, do you regret ranking Ohio State number 11 in the coaches' poll. So here is what Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney had to say about that. 
No, I don't regret any of that. And, you know, the, the, the polls have nothing to do with motivation. Both teams were highly motivated to play. And, listen, they're a great team. As I said, you know, uh, that had nothing to do with Ohio State. I said they were good enough to beat us, good enough to win the whole dang thing. I didn't think anybody that, that um, didn't play at least nine games, I, in my poll, that I wasn't going to put them in the top ten. So, I wasn't going to change that just because there was a chance we could play them. So I, I don't have any regret about that. Only thing I regret is I obviously didn't do a good enough job getting my team ready, but I don't regret anything. Okay. I believe that he believes that, Ephraim. I, oh, I do, 100%. Mind, yeah, he's like, because he said this before the ACC title game. Remember, that was the rematch between Clemson and Notre Dame, and it was built into this, oh, the revenge factor for Clemson. And he said going into that game, he was like, revenge isn't going to help us block better or tackle better or catch better. or what. We've got to execute. So th- that's how he's wired. So I believe in his mind, he believes that it isn't motivating, that it didn't really register, that it didn't fire them up, and they have to go out there and execute. I don't think that's the reality. I think that's going to fire you up if you're a competitive person that the opposing head coach ranked you 11th. (laughs) But in his mind, I truly believe that's what he thinks is the case, that it didn't register. Yeah, he, you you know, because coaches look at things differently, right? Coaches don't look at things like players look at things. That's right. And so that would be his mentality, right? Like, no, we we still got to prepare. We still got to go out and play. Yeah, but... Uh You know, players are like, "Yo, you, you think we sorry? Yeah. So you think we don't belong in the top ten? Okay. All right. Because his players would have felt the same way if somebody would have ranked them like that. It would have been the Absolutely. same. It would have been the same thing. Completely. Right. That go back to the ACC championship game. Him saying it's not going to help us block or tackle better. The revenge factor. Do you think all of his players had the same mentality? Or do you think they were like, oh, we get another crack at Notre Dame? Right. Yep. Right? Like, of course they're going to be fired up for that. And That's it showed. going to be an extra source of motivation. And That's it how showed. It works. Yeah. Now, if we bring in Justin Fields here, here's what he said based on this whole conversation, right? What was the most motivating factor, the extra bit of motivation for Ohio State? This is what Fields had to say after his studly six-touchdown performance. That loss kind of fueled our whole offseason. It, it really fueled our whole season. So, uh, you know, that loss really pushed us in the offseason even more. So we were just glad to get this opportunity back to, to be able to play these guys again. And, of course, Clemson's a great team. They, they played a hard-fought game. Yeah, man. To say that losing to Clemson last year fueled your season, <laughs> like that's more motivating than Dabo ranking you 11th. Yeah, and, you know, he threw the ball 28 times. For 385 yards, Trevor Lawrence threw the ball 48 times. Yeah, for 15 more yards, 400 yards. The bombs that Fields oh my threw God. after his ribs were impacted yes. into his chest. I was like, the shot is kicked in. <laughs> oh, the shot is definitely kicked in. Right after that, he got back on the field and he was like, screen pass. Oh my gosh, it hurts to throw. And then shortly after that, he's like, go deep. Go deep. I'll airmail it to you, you know? Like, that shot kicked in in a major way for sure. So, you know, in in terms of that performance, does that sway you on who 
should go first? No, it doesn't. I still think that Trevor Lawrence is the better prospect. But if you ask the question, did Trevor Lawrence's performance change anything about how you think about him entering into the NFL? And I would say, yeah, slightly. It's not like I'm off the Trevor Lawrence bandwagon. But I look at that game and I'm like, you've got a lot of talent over there with your Clemson teammates. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're going to the Jacksonville Jaguars and you're fumbling left and right with your Clemson you know, supporting cast? Like, yeah, I've got some questions about Trevor Lawrence, who we look at as a guy that he is just going to cover up warts and he's that guy. And I, watching that performance, I'm like, I, he might need a little bit more help than we originally thought in the NFL. Yeah, he, he is going to need that. Um, both of these young men are because... I mean, Justin Fields is probably going to New York, right? I, I mean, there are a lot of people that are like, J-E-T-S, number two overall pick. Right. Gang so, Green, Justin Fields, here we go. And, and it might go down like that. It's possible. And on the other side of our break, I want to really talk about, you know, the growth at the quarterback position in college. Because I noticed something today that uh, I want to talk about. Okay. I like it. We'll hit on that, and we also have to talk uh, a little bit of targeting here. You know, I want to hear your thoughts on the uh, the targeting penalty for one James Schulsky with his rib shot. Should he have been ejected from the game? So we'll get to both of those things right around the corner. I'm Brian. No, he's he from Salam. This is Fox Sports Radio. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brian No. He's E from Salam here on Fox Sports Radio. We're all in the fight against COVID-19, and Ford Motor Company is doing their part by manufacturing and donating 100 million masks to underserved communities. And Ford encourages everyone to join the effort. We are so close to winning this fight, and these next few weeks are crucial. Let's hold the line, continue to social distance, wear masks, and look out for each other so we can get back to where we were. Together, we can get it done. Let's finish strong. A message from the Ford Motor Company. And with that, we just see uh, North Carolina score a touchdown against A&M. Man, I'm a huge Tar Heels fan tonight because I don't want to hear A&M fans like, we should have been there. We just beat the Tar Heels. It's like, go jump in a river. You know, I don't want to I want to hear that argument. You know what I'm saying, big man? Are you with me on that one? I got you, man. You got me? <laughs> All right, so you've got quarterback observations. I want to hear this. What have you observed in the bowl season about these QBs? 
it's it's not so much the bowl se- bowl season itself. It's just the state of of of, of college football that bothers me. Some things bother me, right? So as I'm watching uh, teams play, and and I'm noticing, I'm like, okay, when teams get down, right? When they get behind, and it calls for a Herculean effort mm-hmm. to to get back into it. I just see a lack of, right? So I was watching, what really, this hit me, I was watching Iowa State and Oregon mm-hmm. in uh, Fiesta Bowl. And Oregon was down. And yeah, they had a young quarterback, and and I was watching this early in the fourth quarter, and the play calling was just ridiculous. Right? So what you would want is an opportunity to try to win a game, right? Sure. So the read option, it should not be on the playlist anymore, correct? The team wants you to hand the ball off every time. They're up 34-17. Iowa State will let you run the read option and to your little heart content. Yeah. And I noticed that even in um in the Ohio State Clemson game, although Justin Fields threw the ball 48 times, there's it, there's so many possessions. Cuz when you get down big, you're everything has to count. And so many times coaches, I I don't know, for whatever reason, decide that they're going to continue to call plays if the game were closer. Mm. When we see something in the NFL, if you come out and you're in the NFL and you're down 21 points, 20 points, 17 points, you're in the second half, you're in the third quarter, you're not handing the ball off to the fullback. Right. You're going to spread the field, and you're going to try to get back into the game. Up-tempo, and you're going to go, right? Because you have to take advantage of the, the possessions you have left. You don't see that in college football and I think that's a detriment to these young quarterbacks who are going to play on the next level because everything is so micromanaged yeah. on the, uh, the the college football aspect, so much so that kids can't even – they don't even run the two-minute, right? The no huddle anymore. Everything is looked to the sideline. Mm-hmm. And they have a picture of like a water heater, and that means right. You, you got three guys play. over there going crazy with hand signals, <laughs> and one guy got a red hat on, one guy got a blue hat. Like you got all of these things. Instead of calling two plays in a huddle, getting up to the line, and and and, and going. And I know that's a bit advanced, but the problem is the kids in college don't have to do that. Yeah. So when you get to the the the, the next level. You're behind the eight ball. When you have to learn how to read a defense, 
Sure. Because the person on the sideline can't tell you, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. we're not going to run that play. And the guy with the red hat is is, is doing the bird signal and, and doing the jumping jacks. So then you change the play. And it just bothered me watching uh, the bowl games, especially uh, that Fiesta Bowl, because I was like, are they even trying to score points? Yeah. Well, I would take this away from that. I hear you. What's interesting to me is I think this happens too often in the NFL where there are numerous examples where a head coach or an offensive coordinator doesn't really tailor the system to the strengths of the quarterback, right? Where if you take Matt Nagy in Chicago, where it's like Mitch Trubisky is not your prototypical just drop back quarterback. He's got some athleticism. He can move the pocket. He can make some things happen with his legs. He can extend plays. That's what he does well. So to have him dropping back seven steps, survey the field, and then throw the open guy, that's not his specialty. But there are some coaches that are like, this is just the system. You expect me to change my system? Like, this this is what it is. And so I think what's weird is sometimes at the pros, they don't adapt where some coaches do. Denver did it with Tim Tebow. Like the Ravens have done that with Lamar Jackson where they tweak their offense and they tailor it to his strong suits. Not every team does that. But where you're coming from, Ephraim, I think it's interesting. It's sometimes the exact opposite in college where they say, all right, this is what our quarterback does well. And if the situation of the game calls for them to air it out a little bit more but that's not his specialty. They're kind of like, well, we're kind of just screwed because he doesn't know how to do it. That makes no sense to me. It doesn't. I am with you. The situation calls for you. This is like we're throwing every all hands on deck. We're just throwing everything against the other team or we're going to lose. And how can he learn – Right, that that mechanic. How can he right. learn those mechanics in that type of situation? If you look, Oregon does this weird thing with two quarterbacks, right? Brown and and, and Shaw. They were getting pummeled, and in the second and the third quarter, they didn't score any points. Right, it was uh, twenty-eight to seventeen. And then in the third quarter, it was 31 to 17. And then the fourth quarter, like, so I'm like, okay, so when are they going to open it up? The combined quarterbacks threw the ball 28 times mm-hmm. for 200 yards. I'm like, well, for 226 yards. So I'm like, okay, why are you handing the ball off on this read option type of the other team? Ohio State, uh, Iowa State was just like, yes, do that. Yeah. Opposed to spread like and I know like oh, that's not his strong suit, but eventually you're going to have to try to develop someone to do some things he may not be great at. How else is he going to learn how to do those things? And the reason it really hits home for me is because when I watch San Diego State play football and They've been a predominantly running football team for the last five, six years, right? They'll hand the ball off 40 times. Mm. They've had good running backs. Those guys have gone to the pros and so on and so forth. The problem I have is if you're down, if San Diego State is down in a game, if they're down by 14 points, you can pretty much, it's over. 
<laughs> it's a wrap. It's over because they're going to hand the ball off over and over. And, and I'm talking about late in the third quarter, fourth quarter. You're down by 14 points. You're down by 17 points. You're backed up on the 10-yard line, and you're handing the ball. It's third and eight, and you hand the ball off. Like I'm like, so no one is even trying to, mm-hmm. you know, get a first down or score. And I see that so much in college football. I just think it's a disservice to the team and to these young quarterbacks. I, I, I that bothers me more so than I. Ugh. Than anything, but you know what doesn't bother me, <laughs> right? You know what I am completely at peace with. I I think I do. I think I know exactly who and what it is. Our very own Stephen X DeSager <laughs> makes me feel calm and at peace. Meanwhile. I think one certain co-host on this show talked about in advance what the Texas A&M fans might be saying after this oh, game. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. How if are things win. going at the Orange Bowl right now? <laughs> They're losing, Steve. They are trailing right now. It is North Carolina 13-10 in the lead. Minute and a half to go in the first half. And North Carolina is without both of its 1,000-yard rushers and its 1,000-yard wide receiver tonight. And yet, a couple of field goals, a Sam Howell touchdown pass, and they're up 13-10 over the Aggies, who are 8-1 and this year. They defeated Florida with a last-second field goal. A&M lost to Alabama 52-24 to this season. The Fiesta Bowl went to 10th-ranked Iowa State, 34-17 over Oregon, which finishes 4-3 and on the season. Ducks had four turnovers today. Bowl wins for Ole Miss and Kentucky. Texas fired coach Tom Herman and hired Steve Sarkeesian as the new head coach, ex of USC and Washington. He's been on the Bama staff and Sark will still be Alabama's offensive coordinator for the national title game. He won the award as the nation's top assistant this year. The New York Jets are expected to part ways with coach Adam Gase tomorrow after the finale, according to NFL Network, which also says Jacksonville is expected to move on next week from coach Doug Marone with the Jaguars interested in Urban Meyer. Doug Peterson will likely remain as Eagles head coach, but defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz is stepping away from football. Washington quarterback Alex Smith is expected to start Sunday night at Philadelphia. That'll end the regular season. Smith had had a strained calf. Washington must win to clinch the NFC East title. If not, it'll go to the winner of tomorrow's Cowboys-Giants game earlier in the day. Dallas did only virtual work yesterday after a player tested positive mm. for coronavirus. Eagles running back Miles Sanders is out with a bad knee. The same Saints will be missing four running backs tomorrow, all of them, in other words, including Alvin Kamara, who has COVID, Ty Montgomery due to step in as their running back at Carolina. Kamara, Uh, I was wondering who it was going to be. That's right. Not listed as a running back, but of course he has been before. Kamara will not be able to practice next week either, by the way, since he's not some close contact. He's the guy. The earliest he could return is Sunday, January 10th. If they have a playoff game Saturday, January 9th, tough. You miss that. And it's not likely at this point that they get the top seed. There's only one bye available in the conference. The others, by the way, the other running backs only have a five-day quarantine looking at Do you think the NFL will consider COVID ramifications for how they structure who plays where? College football has already in the ESPN report thought, okay, 
if either semi or final we got COVID problems, we can yeah, yeah. delay it a week, and yep. these are the dates. Yeah. So, so you would think the NFL, it's like, we would rather have Kamara on the field, so Saints play Sunday. It's not. Well, yeah, that would be nice of, for them to do, but, I mean, I, I, they really don't care. No, instead because they the, say, the games are going to go. Like people are going right. to watch. They're not going to tune out because the Saints don't have their running uh-huh. back. They, they it's like the care. Cleveland situation this they week. Don't care. Game's still on. Yeah, absolutely. Pittsburgh's at Cleveland. The Browns closed their team facility again today after another positive virus test. So they'll be missing two assistants on Sunday. Cleveland's in the postseason with a win or a Colts loss. Uh, by the way, for the Steelers, defensive tackle Cam Hayward and linebacker T.J. Watt are out tomorrow, as is center Marquise Pouncey. Defensive back Joe Hayden is now on the COVID list. So what's left of the Steelers and Browns will be facing each other tomorrow to end the regular season. Uh, the Titans activated punter Brett Kern off the COVID list and elevated kicker Sam Sloman from the practice squad. Tennessee's at Houston. Hall of Fame running back Floyd Little passed away at the age of 78 after battling cancer. In college basketball, number one Gonzaga is now leading 65-45 over San Francisco, about 12 minutes to go. And 17th-ranked Michigan State has a lead of 61-50 at Nebraska with about 12 minutes to go. And how about this? It was due to be Jim Nance and Tony Romo for the finale in L.A. of Rams cardinals tomorrow tony romo is out due to covid protocols it will oh, be jim man. nance and boomer esiason in the booth instead oh, wow. remember kirk herbstreet last night called a semi-finally attested positive and worked the game from home pro football talk said the logistics were likely not feasible for cbs to outfit romo's home with the proper equipment in time for a game tomorrow and they haven't said whether he's back the next weekend back to you week cbs figure it out <laughs> Throw a monitor in the... What are you talking about? Like, look at all these broadcasters doing it remotely. Just look at the NBA draw. guys. I mean, Herb Street couldn't draw. He still called a good game. Yeah, I thought it was fine. You really couldn't tell that much difference. What is it? Uh, Helen, right? He's doing NBA games from his place. His daughter was posting pictures like, yeah, we just ate supper and dad's calling an NBA game now in the basement. Or You can't do that with Romo? What's going on over there? Herb Street said at one point the kid's fallen asleep on the couch during the broadcast <laughs> last night. <laughs> Let me nice. ask you this. Uh-huh. We still got guys testing positive for COVID? Oh, we do. Like, you're, Look, you're, you're on the cusp of the playoffs. Yes. And... W- we again, we're brothers in arms on this one, big man. I'm like, what is happening right now? We have been preaching at the pulpit of playoff bubbles, meaning have it at the site of the host city. If the Saints are taking on, I don't, let's just say the Bears sneak into the playoffs. I don't know who's going to make it. It may probably be Arizona. Let's say that Arizona is playing the Saints in that first weekend. The Arizona Cardinals should pack up and go to New Orleans very beginning of the week. They have their team hotel, strict protocols, same thing with the Saints. They're not going home each and every night, right? Like desperate times call for desperate measures. The NFL, the NFLPA, they should have hammered this out where you have bubbles at the host city. And yet it's just like, yeah, hopefully we'll be okay. That's not a plan. What's March Madness going to be this year? One region, one site, one city. And I realize you can't do that with football because you have so many people, right? There's layers and layers. But if you're hell-bent on playing at the home stadium, okay, great. Just have both teams 
in their own separate bubbles. And they're there the week that gives you a better chance where COVID is not going to make the same impact. Even the more so the onus on the guys. How does Alvin Kamara get COVID? Right? Like, what is going on personally in your should-be bubble to where you get COVID? Are Joe Hayden or anybody else still getting it this late into the season? Have we not learned anything? Yeah, I hear you, but take a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's on the reserve COVID list also. And he's a dude I see him masking up all the time. Like Yeah, but he he could have sat down for dinner and maybe it was a family member who had it. You never know, right? Ta- this is what I'm talking about though. Right? Th- and I guess I can be somewhat of an a-hole. <laughs> I was not right? expecting you to go there, man. So, me off guard. So for me to say, yeah, y'all, none of y'all can come over here. Uh-huh. That that's not like I don't feel any pressure to appease anyone, right? It's the holiday season. Oh, we want to get together and oh, we'll take tests. And... No. 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 And if I'm a player, I'm like, no, we get – look, anybody on the Browns, they have an opportunity to do something that – since 95, right? Like you – no one should have COVID on the Browns mm. because everybody should have been like, look, we can't afford to do any of this so we're everybody got to shut it down. Well, my auntie wants to come. No. Well, my my my, my no, no. Or I'm like, look, y'all could do that, but I'm leaving. I'm going to stay somewhere else. It's just a couple of weeks. How many players from the Browns are missing? I don't know how many are on the list. Right? Like I'm like. Well, how is this still happening? This is getting ready. This is going to impact the playoffs now. But that's what I'm saying. The NFL, without hammering out some sort of agreement with the NFLPA, they are leaving themselves wide open. They're vulnerable toward goodness. We have no running backs for the Saints available. None. What if that is the NFC Championship game? That's the, that's what I'm talking about. And there's no Kamara and no Latavius Murray and nobody else due to either contracting COVID or due to contact tracing. You and, have no running backs. And the problem I have is I, I don't know how guys aren't taking this more serious. Still. I, I just don't. Like, to have this number of, of, of people contacting COVID – Right. When we know, right, the mask and separation, and that means someone with COVID has entered into your sphere. How? <laughs> I Listen, I'm with you, but I then look at it from the NFL and NFLPA standpoint. And I ask them, because they're basically banking on players 
doing the mature and responsible thing. Well, obviously. And that's why I look at the NFL and NFLPA and say, why would you bank on that? Right. Why would that be your plan? History has shown that's not necessarily the case. Yes. So it's time for plan B. Bubbles. It's too late now. It gives now. you a much better chance it's too to late not now. have asterisk city left and right how, yeah. do, how do all these guys still have code that is crazy to me man yeah. that makes no sense but you know what it means for week 17 Tua, Tua. we got tongue of Iloa. there's no ninth inning relief pitcher oh, as brian man. flores says this may not be good for them huh what do you think this you may think not be good the for them might not work out bills are going to be resting their guys Sean doesn't McDermott's matter it's still a good team coy yeah it's fine but I mean, you feel good about the backup of Josh Allen? Do you think Matt Barkley's going to go out there and just dice up the best scoring defense in football? you think that's happening? I just, uh, man, this is crazy to me. It is wild. All right, we got a lot to get to here. We've got to get to this. Um, I don't foresee the penalty changing, although it should. Although it should. We'll get to that. I'm Brian, though. He's Ephraim Salam. This is Fox Sports Radio. I'm Brian, though. He is Ephraim Salam here on Fox Sports Radio. I just polished off some corn checks. Do you have any love for that with your cereals there, Ephraim Salam? Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nah. I like rice checks, corn checks pretty good. No, don't no, get down with no, those. No, I'm good. I'm gonna pass on the checks. I uh, I bypassed some CTC. I know it's not a winning move in your book. Cinnamon Toast Crunch was sitting right there, and I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling corn corn checks right here. That's what I went with. How dare you? Right. <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on Clemson linebacker James Shalsky. He was ejected. He was the guy who just obliterated Justin Fields. Justin Fields was running, trying to get a first down, and big number 47 was like, I don't think so. Wham! Right in the rib cage with his helmet. And Justin Fields was on the turf, right? He was in pain. And in the time that he was trying to pull himself off the uh, the carpet there, Kirk Herbstreet was like, yeah, it might be targeting. I'm like, what? That might be targeting? And so sure enough, it was. He led with the crown of his helmet, and Sholsky was ejected for targeting. I get Ephraim if it's helmet to helmet. I understand. 
with CTE and brain injuries and all of that stuff. Okay, fine. I understand why they're trying to get rid of headshots in football. But listen, man. If it happens to be a rib shot, maybe you should have slid. I don't uh, I don't know what to tell you, right? Like there is such a thing called sliding well, and there is such a thing as called protect yourself at all times. Well, well, I think that exists in football also. Well, I, I you're that you have that assessment because you're looking at it one way. You're looking at it as the hittee instead of the hitter. No, I'm looking at it as the hitter. No, I'm like, no, no, well, no. What do you no, want no. me to do over here? You're you're looking at it as the hitty, like protect yourself at all times. You said it, right? You got to protect yourself. Slide, whatever. Yeah. That rule isn't in place for the for just the person who's being struck. That rule's in place for the striker as well. Watching that hit. If this kid isn't wearing that neck brace that he's wearing, mm. he could have very well broke his neck. That's why the rule was put in. So it's just not a helmet to helmet. It's when you put your head down and you le- when your face mask is facing parallel to the ground, right. you can't see anything in front of you. The most vulnerable part, vulnerable part of your head is that top part of the head because any compression the wrong way can cause serious damage in your vertebrae. Right. This is what the studies have shown. And so that's why the rule is put in place. He did it last year. And he did it this year. It's the same here. They show both of them. And I was like, well, he hasn't learned. And initially I'm like, oh no, that's not, that's not targeting, but it was. He put his head so far down, his face mask was touching his 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 uh his chest. Well, they always go back to like grade school, high school, early on in football. They always say, "If you see can't what see you him, hit. yeah, you can't see hit what him. You hit, you can't drop your head like that now, because you're next vulnerable." But but I still these collisions happen so rapidly. Yeah, but from, he and, and the other thing is to get ejected for that. I can understand that it's a penalty. I get it, but. Like, you're disqualified. I just think the penalty is way too harsh. It is, but you got to learn. The penalty, guess how you learn? Harsh penalties. That's the only way you can learn. That's. That, I mean, what else? He, he got ejected last year from the, the championship game for the same thing. Okay, well, then the harsh penalty didn't help He's him learn. He's going to okay. break his neck. I get, I get why it's the stakes are raised. I understand that, but I still think you can learn a lesson without a penalty that's as harsh. Nah, look, I hate the kids missing the game, but that is so dangerous, man. That is so football is that is dangerous, and you won't think so until you get paralyzed, and that's that's the that's the dark side of it. Yeah. All right, we got a lot to get to. Coming up next, as we inch closer to NFL playoff time, who's overrated, who's underrated? You know, big man, typically, if I tease going into the next segment, it's a little bit abstract, right? I don't tell you exactly what's coming up. It's a little bit of a cliffhanger, like, what is this about? Is this about Aaron Rodgers, maybe? I don't know. Normally, Lee Robert DeLap IV, our trusted producer, he will guess he will guess what the tease is about, what the next topic will be. And I've been out of form tonight. 
I've just told you exactly what it is. Coming up, getting close to the NFL playoffs. Who's the most overrated team? Who's the most underrated team? Boom. You know, there's nothing for Lee to, to guess, so I will change that in about 10 minutes. I'm teasing my tease. That's what I'm doing. Oh, a double tease. That's right. Yeah, a, a tipple tease. That's exactly right. So if we dive into this, big man, playoffs right around the corner, only week 17, and the playoff field is set. So we've got a really good idea who's going to be there, who won't be. Of do, the teams do, do that we? we've got a we've got a really good idea. Yeah. Mm. Look at the AFC. Okay? We've got five teams that are ten and five chasing four spots. So one of those teams is gonna get left out. We got a pretty good idea. It's either gonna be the Dolphins, maybe it's gonna be the Colts. Outside of that, I'd be surprised if it changes based on the matchups. So yeah. We've got a good idea who's going to be in there, I would say. Of the teams that look to be in the playoffs, who would you say is the most overrated team? We'll get to the underrated team in a second. The but Steelers. who would you say is the most overrated? The, okay, now the why? Why the Steelers? Um, Because they're falling apart at the seams. <laughs> okay, all right. And I don't their inability to run the football is going to just destroy them in the playoffs. It's going to hamstring them. And if you can take the runaway with seven men in the box, then you you can control the Steelers. Okay, solid argument. I would go with, and I just realized that, this is going to sound like an epic troll job by me because, again, our trusted producer, Lee Robert DeLapp IV, is a <laughs> diehard Green Bay Packers fan. Who, are you trolling? No. I'm not. It's going to seem like I am, but I'm not. I honestly believe this. I think the most overrated team, as we inch closer to the NFL playoffs, is the Green Bay Packers for a couple of reasons. One, don't love their defense. Their rush defense is not great. They're giving up. Four and a half yards per rush. It's not good. The only reason the the rush defense has seems to be respectable is because Aaron Rodgers has been the MVP this season, and a lot of their opponents are playing from behind. And what do you do when you play from behind? Well, you throw the ball more. I still remember Dalvin Cook carving up Green Bay in Green Bay. I don't like their rush defense. I think their pass defense is a little leaky. I don't like their defense collectively. And then I look offensively, Devontae Adams is a flat-out stud. Goodness, is he? But you know as well as I do, big man, that there are a lot of defensive coordinators, they game plan similar to how Bill Belichick does it. What does Bill Belichick do? Take away your weapon. He takes away your best option. You're going to have to beat him with your secondary punch, right? And so what happens if Devontae Adams is held in check in a game? They're going to face some talented secondaries. It can happen. What do you have if Devontae is catching five passes for 56 yards and no touchdowns? What do you have? You got a two-headed running game. Okay. I like uh, I like Aaron Jones. Uh, A.J. Dillon, who can't that's Lambo a, leap to save his life. Okay, big, we saw a little bit from him. That's a big man. It's a very big that's man. That's a big man. Yeah, but they are overrated if you look at their credentials what's funny to me is they got smoked by Tampa and it's a distant memory they lost by four touchdowns to Tampa they lost to the Vikings outright and then they kicked away a lead against Indianapolis 
Like, that matters to me. And to get boat raced the way they did, I'm not going to forget about that. So I do. I think that they are overrated because who do you hear talking about the Packers like I do? Right? It's always positive. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. And oh, man, drafting Jordan Love lit a fire under him. Look (laughs) at what it's done. It's just positive, 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 positive. He's a two-time MVP. That theory sucks anyway. It's not as if he had a breakout season and he hasn't done this before. He's doing what Aaron Rodgers does. He's playing great football. It's not because of Jordan Love. But that's the narrative. And I think people are off base with the Packers. They're in for a rude awakening come playoff time, big man. That's my prediction. Okay. That's how you really feel. <laughs> Lee, what do you have? Since it's your team, Lee, how do you respond to to what Brian had to say? I think the defense is uh, is picking things up just in time. Christian Kirksey coming back has really uh, brought the brought down the uh, the rushing attack against them. I think so. I think they're uh, they're primed for the playoffs. Mm. Mm. Okay. And and AJ Dillon, getting Dylan rocking and rolling before the playoffs. I like that too. I worry about Aaron Jones's contract, but how would you rate the Lambo leap? Pretty bad there. Pretty yeah, how bad. tall is he? I know he's huge, but I think he's like. Shorter than six foot, right? It's a big dude, though. I don't care if he can leap or not. The fact that don't nobody want to tackle him. <laughs> right? I mean, good Lord. Just his thighs alone. I was like, this man is massive. Yeah, he is a big boy. Okay, underrated. Who do you think is the most underrated team as we look toward the NFL playoffs? I would say... Now I don't know if they're going to even make it in or not. Okay, that's that. Hey, I'm not. I'm not going to throw stones at you if they don't get in. I would say Baltimore. Okay. Why? I, I'd say Baltimore because they started off on fire, and then they like went on a serious skid. Yeah. So the naysayers and the people, you know came and, 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 and deconstructed the team. Well, what they've latched back on to uh, later in the season is that dynamic that they had last year and in the season be- before. Now, it's weighing heavily on them when they get into the playoffs that they can't win a playoff game. Mm-hmm. And so I think for that fact, people are writing them off. Okay, I like where you're going here because I'm going in the exact opposite direction. And this makes for great radio, you know? I am going to go with, make sure you're sitting down here. I am sitting down. I'm Brian No, He's Ephraim Salam here on Fox Sports Radio. The most underrated team in the NFL playoffs, it is actually the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, here's my thinking. First off, when we're, you're judging overrated, underrated, you have to go with the mainstream opinion. What is the mainstream opinion about the Pittsburgh Steelers? It is overwhelmingly negative. It's they can't run the ball. Big Ben can't throw the ball downfield. It's all the things that are true and could cause them to stumble come playoff time. My thing is that's not all there is to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They lead the league in sacks. They're tied for first in takeaways. They've got the number two scoring defense. 
Those are all huge things defensively. And oh, by the way, even though I hear you, from the running game does scare me. But if you look at Big Ben, this season, 33 touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. You compare that to Josh Allen, who people are throwing rose petals at his feet, the Bills quarterback. <laughs> Josh Allen has one more touchdown pass and one fewer interception. That's it. Yet it's, oh, Josh Allen, unbelievable season, really took a step forward. This guy, ah, unbelievable. And Big Ben, it's like, this guy sucks. He can't throw the ball. He looks like a disaster. He's right there in the same neighborhood as Josh Allen. So I look at the black and gold, and yes, although they have their deficiencies, they have their warts, they have their strengths, and those strengths are completely overlooked right now. I have them as the most underrated team. Okay. Well, the the thing is going to be your underrated team and my underrated team, if things all stay that they are, will face off. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. I, it's funny, man, because I filled in with Rob Parker this week on The Odd Couple. And we had a couple I of too NFL guests on. filled yeah. in with Rob Parker. Did Rob say to you that he enjoyed working with you more than me? Because that's what he said 1, to me. 1,000%. Is that- <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. But we had a couple of NFL guests on, and I asked him, I was like, who do you have as the most underrated and overrated teams? And both guests were like, underrated Baltimore Ravens. Wouldn't want to play the Ravens right now. Hmm. Sounds, and I look at it, I'm familiar. like, it, yeah, but I differ. I'm like, I would. Bring them on. Why am I shaking about the Baltimore Ravens? Let's look at their credentials. Lamar Jackson, what has he done in the playoffs? He's wet himself. That doesn't mean it's going to continue, but that's his track record thus far. The team has wet themselves collectively. It's just been a whole wetting of themselves over in Baltimore. Losing to Tennessee last year. They lost to the Chargers. They were chanting for Joe Flacco. Bring in Joe. That's how bad Lamar Jackson was in the first three quarters against the Chargers. And then he won the MVP the next year. Then he won MVP the next year, and then he laid an egg against the Tennessee Titans when they were huge favorites. And I also look at the Ravens, the here and now, they've won four straight games against mostly garbage teams. They are so overrated right now. They've beaten this four-game winning streak. The Cowboys, the Jags, and the Giants, who are 5-10 and 10 right now. And they barely survived against Cleveland, who a lot of people have their doubts about that team come oh, okay, playoff yeah, Okay, I get that. But uh, Pittsburgh did lose to Washington. They did. They did lose to – they didn't lose to the Bengals. They got slapped in the face. Embarrassing loss. But that's where they hit rock bottom. See, but, and they rebounded is, against is, the Colts. They're is, back. They didn't rebound. I mean, they won by four points. It wasn't like they came out and was like, Big win. We're Big win. So settle down with the, the ship. who won and who beat who, right? Uh, because oh. the Pittsburgh, it's 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 riddled with, mm-hmm. like, you can't lose to Washington, and you can't, you surely shouldn't have lost to the Bills, and you sh- and you can't lose to the Bengals. Okay. Oh, you know who the Ravens That's lost to? That's three in to? a row. You know who the Ravens lost to? The Patriots. You lost to the Patriots. How do you lose to the Patriots? You hear my voice? You hear how high my voice goes? I can't speak in my voice. So let me voice. ask you an honest question. Okay. And I would love for you to answer, uh, answer on honestly. I really okay. would. All right. In terms of who you shouldn't lose to, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you already know. Okay, so, I got you. Yeah. Thank you. Lose, I don't, divisional but, opponent. But, All right, wait, the but, Patriots but, are not a divisional wait, opponent. But wait. Okay. Let me ask it so the people, so America can can know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. In the grand scheme of losing to someone this year. Yes. Would you feel uh, worse losing to a Bill Belichick-led Patriots uh-huh. or the Bengals without the starting quarterback? With a guy at quarterback, can you tell me who was at quarterback? What's his Ryan name? Ryan Finley? Come on. Ryan Finley. Yeah. Can you tell me? For just for my purposes, I don't. I don't know. My computer's uh-huh. down. How many games has Ryan Finley played? Uh, not a lot. Not, we're approaching like half a dozen, right around there somewhere. You know? Is, do you know what his stats have been in any of those games? I, 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 I again, I would have to refer to a computer. To tell mm, okay. me those sorts of things, but yes, you're right. I'm glad I, I, you brought this I just, point I just, up. I just, I just, wanted, to, I just it, wanted to know. It's worse. It's worse than than losing to the Bengals. Granted, and the Ravens, they did need Oa's Ark and, and, and Noah's Ark that game. And, Remember that when and, and it was who, raining north. Well, let me west, ask you this. Let me ask you this. Let me one, one more thing. Time. One more thing uh-huh. about Ryan Finley. Okay. okay, has he ever in his NFL career thrown over a hundred yards in a game? That sounds the answer like you is have information. no. Yes, it sounds like the you have answer is no. Yeah, yeah. So How about when you want to talk to me, huh? wait a Has minute, Phillip wait Rivers a thrown minute. For over a hundred yards, because that's who the Steelers beat last week. When you want to talk to me about who you shouldn't okay. lose to, all right, all right. The Bengals are yeah. at the top of that list. Okay, one last little layer here on this. When we're talking about who lost to who, um, can you remind me what the Ravens' record is this year against the Steelers? What is it? They've played each other twice. What's what's the Ravens' record? What is their record against the Steelers? It is 0-2. Mm. Now, one of those was an asterisk because they had nine starters out due to COVID. <laughs> okay. Okay, so right, that, right. granted. Just I like the asterisk with, that. with Notre Dame when they beat Clemson the first time. You settled down, <laughs> big man. You <laughs> settled oh, down. Oh, you like that, right? <laughs> yeah, buddy. Not the same thing. It was a bigger asterisk with the Ravens not having Lamar and going down to RG3, right? And then Trace McSorley. Hey. Uncle Lele balled out over 400 yards passing. No, I don't want to hear that. Sorry. But but no one for everybody who, who says, oh, the Steelers, they stink and they can't do this and they can't do that, they beat this trendy Ravens team twice. And although one was COVID-related, the other one in Baltimore was not. The Steelers won that game. The Steelers in the AFC, it's significant because you're going to be facing AFC competition in the playoffs. The Steelers are 9-2 and two in the conference. The Ravens are 6-5. and five. Like tough, I, tough conference. It is a tough conference. But the Steelers have fared better, baby. Better. <laughs> Your argument has fallen flat. <laughs> Sorry to tell you that. It hasn't. You and America just happens to disagree with it. That's all. <laughs> Raven, oh, look out for the Ravens. They've beat the Cowboys and the Jags. Here they come mm. with their defense that has taken a step back and their offensive line that's held together with duct tape. Mm. And Lamar, who wets himself in big games. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm shaking in my boots because of Baltimore over here.
Watch them be in the AFC Championship game. Or, or I don't know, maybe one and done. I'm thinking it's the latter. <laughs> End scene. What did you as think? long as you get it all off your chest, man. <laughs> all right, get I, it all out. It's all out there, man. All right, coming up next. It pains me to say this, but this guy is not making sense. And it's not me. It's somebody else. I'm Brian No, He's E from Salam. This is Fox Sports Radio. Juan Gabriel. Juan Gis. Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We got to talk some coaches here, big man. We got a lot of headlines. And so let's go through a few of them. Brian Kelly, head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, he said something before the game against Alabama and after the game, and I thought both things made no sense whatsoever. Before the game, he was talking about, hey, uh, we don't have to prove anything. And it's like, uh, you kind of do. Like Notre Dame has gotten trounced in these BCS and New Year's Six Bowl games. So I thought heading into the game, I didn't like that message. Whereas, oh, we, we have nothing to prove. It's like, you guys have everything to prove. And then after the game, after Notre Dame lost 31-14 to against Alabama, Brian Kelly had this to say. I guess everybody needs to continue to carry this narrative that Notre Dame's not good enough. Look at the scores of the games that Alabama's played all year. I think we need to start to change the narrative a little bit. This team was out there competing and having a chance to win. Proud of the way our guys competed. (laughs) (laughs) Like, here's the thing, man. When you got trounced by Clemson two years ago, 30-3, to when you got blown out by Bama in that 2012 BCS championship game by four touchdowns, when you lose to Bama just on Friday night by 17 points, you can't sit here and say the narrative needs to change. It's like the way you change it is by winning. It's not by believing you're good enough or thinking you're good enough. It's about proving you're good enough. From his statement, what he's saying is they didn't beat us as bad as they beat everybody else. So we belong. What? Huh? Right. Who? At any point in that game, did you think that they were going to win Notre Dame? No, I didn't. Do you remember what happened on the first kickoff of the game? Uh, yeah, a Notre Dame guy got blasted at about the, I don't know, 12-yard line or something. He got his soul <laughs> hit out of him. And 
He fumbled the football. (laughs) Yeah, I remember watching that. I was like, ooh. From that moment on, I was like, oh, they about to get a murder. They about to. It's it's over. It's not even. This is this is over. He got his soul. Yeah. Hit out of his body. I know that wasn't pretty. Uh, You're gonna laugh at me, but this is. This is me being a fan. No, I never thought Notre Dame was a serious threat to win the game. But I thought at halftime, they were acting like the score was 59 to nothing. I'm like, dude, it's a couple of possessions. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not go crazy over here. And when Notre Dame had the ball, they got to stop to start the second half. Notre Dame got the ball back, and Ian Book threw a terrible interception. Right? And I'm looking at that game, and I'm thinking, if you're able to put a scoring drive together... You're down by a touchdown, right? It, it's at least a ball game. And he threw a pick, and that's when Devontae Smith did the toe, t- uh, the toe drag um, in the corner of the end zone, which was just a phenomenal play. And then it was, it was over by that point. When it was 28-7, it was over. You could make the argument it was over before that point, but officially it was over when it was 28-7. It was over when that boy got his soul ejected out of his body. On the opening kickoff. You've that, never seen a hard hit on a kickoff before? Yeah, but that was a tempo. That was a tone setter. Right? For a team who's fighting for relevance. Uh-huh. And a team who lives in relevance. Right? You walk into the octagon. I'll tell you this. Remember when Ronda Rousey was the baddest woman on the planet yeah. Earth? Yep. Remember that? When she, she was beating tomato cans, she yes. she stomped through the you know the, the the crowd with that face going into the octagon, yeah. And then one Holly Holmes, who was a professional boxer, yeah, right. Who said, "Hey, look, I'm do MMA. You know, it's not really a, a market for female boxing. I'm gonna do MMA." Yep. Right, Ronda Rousey lived in relevance. Nobody knew who Holly Holmes was. Yeah. Until she kicked the soul out of Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey. I saw her whole everything. Just yeah. I, I mean, it was unbelievable. So I'll I'll say this. If Ronda Rousey walks in and at the opening bell hits Holly Holmes in the mouth, Holly Holmes looks at the game at the at the match differently now. Like, okay, oh, my God. What does Mike Tyson say? Everybody has a plan until you get hit in the mouth or punched in the mouth. When Alabama hit that boy in his mouth and he coughed that ball up, I was like, oh, they about to destroy him. (laughs) And they physically dominated him the entire game. I don't care how close it seemed or you thought it was. At no point did Alabama think, okay, they got us. Well, but that's the larger point is for Brian Kelly to be like, the narrative needs to change. I'm basically tired of people saying Notre Dame doesn't belong and we're incapable. And It's like, dude, you change people's minds and perspectives when you win. When you're within a score, you lost by 17. And that the backdrop is getting boat raced. In the other six BCS or New Year's Six Bowl games, 
Like, you can't tell people how to think. It's you show them that you're legit, and then if they see that, they're going to give you credit. Are we withholding props from Ohio State now after they crushed Clemson? No, it's like they killed them. So we're going to give them credit. We're going to give credit where credit's due. And so I just I think it's ridiculous for Brian Kelly to say say those things. The, the narrative needs to change over here. It's like, hey, how about you win a big game come playoff time? You know what I will. mean? It's so uh, the narrative. I'll tell you who. Speaking of narrative, <laughs> how about narration? Right? Ooh. Someone Ooh. who brings an unseen presence when delivering information. The narrator of all narration, mm. one Stephen Y. DeSager. Uh, just uh, I'm guessing that the unseen presence is because I'm on the radio. Duh. Not not Tavish. I'll just <laughs> I'll just go with that one. A note for Johnny Bovada. If you were living in Las Vegas earlier this week, <laughs> who coined that phrase? By the way, I don't way? know, who but it's a good nickname? one. It's not. I, you me. know, what? I, it just dawned on me. It was Willard. <laughs> it was freaking Willard who did that. Yeah, appropriate, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, if you were living in Vegas, walking through the casino and heard about these opt-outs on the North Carolina Tar Heels offense mm. for the Orange Bowl, you would have raced, not walked, run to the uh, sports book. Not right? necessarily. Stephen Y. DeSager, because I am not a big believer in Texas A&M. Not a big believer in them and their body of work. So there, I looked it up. They were some. They were somewhere around nine-point favorites tonight. Yeah, like, okay, they beat winless Vanderbilt, 2-8 and eight South Carolina, 3-3-7 three, three and seven teams. No, I don't think they're this, this great team. I think they're overrated as a number five team. Okay, and they are trailing late third quarter to North Carolina, 2017 at the Orange Bowl. Details in a moment, but Texas made the big news twice today in college football, firing coach Tom Herman and hiring Steve Sarkeesian as head coach off the Alabama staff. Yes, Sark will still be the offensive coordinator for Alabama in the national title game a week from Monday. One of the uh, NFL writers tweeted this earlier today that Division I schools are cutting sports, telling a kid they don't have money to fund soccer spots for the incoming freshmen because of the pandemic. Writer Greg Bell says Texas athletics eliminated 70 positions in September and Texas is now paying Tom Herman $15 million and his staff $24 million in buyouts to go away today. Wow, that just draws a wow, a little perspective. The details on 13th-ranked North Carolina, which is leading late third quarter. They were down 17-13 at the half, giving up a touchdown run 20 seconds before halftime. But Sam Howell does have his second touchdown pass. And even though the Tar Heels are without both of their 1,000-yard rushers, without its 1,000-yard receiver, 20 to 17 is the lead over the fifth ranked Aggies. Eight and one. As we mentioned earlier in the show, AM did defeat Florida on a last second field goal and did lose to Alabama this year, 52 to 24. North Carolina started its season four and two. They lost at Florida State and lost at Virginia. But 
Three and a half minutes to go, third quarter. They're leading the Orange Bowl 20-17. to 10th-ranked Iowa State took the Fiesta Bowl over Oregon 34-17. Bowl wins for Ole Miss and Kentucky. The New York Jets are expected to part ways with Coach Adam Gase after tomorrow's finale, according to NFL Network. Dallas has given offensive coordinator Kellen Moore an extension, so he is not leaving for Boise State. Hall of Fame running back Floyd Little passed away at the age of 78. Basketball Hall of Famer Paul Westfall died at the age of 70. Among the six NBA games tonight, Philadelphia goes to 5-1, and one, beating Charlotte 127-112. to 112. Ben Simmons a triple-double. In college hoops, number one Gonzaga was only up by three just before halftime. Zags beat San Francisco 85-62. In a top-ten matchup at Kansas today, Texas beat the Jayhawks 84-59. Alabama won at number seven Tennessee. Oklahoma beat ninth-ranked West Virginia. Iowa winner at Rutgers. And in overtime, Oklahoma State won at number 13 Texas Tech. And I did see a lot of the national TV game for Aztecs basketball today. Now, the contest before it went so long by the time they joined the game at San Diego State they were already leading I believe it was 23 to 4 against Colorado State I even commented at the time well this is great we're 10 minutes in and the game is over we literally have not seen the game today final score Colorado State 70 to 67 at Mm. San Diego State so stupid Aztecs were actually up 36 10 at one point, eight minutes to go until halftime. Did you not say on the radio, Steve, if Colorado State comes back to win this, I'll walk <laughs> to Colorado no. from Southern no, California? No, Arnie Spanier would have said that, but no, I did not say that. Okay. Largest comeback in Colorado State Rams that was history. Disappointing. I was so mad. San Diego State at the foul line, 14 for 30. Come on. Under 50% on supposed <laughs> free throws lost by 14 three. 14 for 30. Goodness. That's, and this that's is, like Shaq was taking every free throw. <laughs> well, Houston, uh, no, yeah, the ex-Houston center, uh, Clint Capella for Atlanta tonight. He was 0 for 5 on free throws, and they lost by 5 to Cleveland. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this does happen. But San Diego State was 6 and 1 this year. They won the opener against UCLA. They're good. Beat Arizona State. This was the conference opener national tv and wow that's just a wow back to you good stuff steve i'm brian no easy from salam here on fox sports radio by the way what do you think about this steve has mentioned this a few times tonight the jags are likely hiring urban meyer that's who they're setting their sights on mm. what do you think of a, a possible urban meyer trevor lawrence little connection over there in jacksonville you think Herb can be successful in the NFL? I think he can. I mean, he's going to get a dynamic quarterback right off the bat. So, you know, we'll, we'll look. Urban Meyer's a good coach. Can yeah. he make that leap? We'll I see. The league is yeah. getting younger and younger, so that that leap isn't as 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 big as it used to be. Right? It's not a lot of veteran presence in the league. When Spurrier came and he had all the old guys and he was talking about this is what we're going to do and remember Chip Kelly, we're going to run it. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? This, we're not of- in college. So when you come with that college mentality to a bunch of guys who are grown men with kids and yeah. been in the league you know, 9, 10, 12 years, you, you're missing the point. I look at a guy like Nick Saban. Think about him. 15 and 17 with the Miami Dolphins. And I can't help but think about that as it relates to Urban Meyer. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you that every coach that had wild success in college flamed out in the NFL. But there are a lot who have. Well, yeah. And when you don't have the ability to recruit four- and five-star guy and have the 
talent advantage in most of the games you play. It's a completely different ball game in the NFL. Yeah, you you got to work with what's in the cupboard. You got to draft well. And you got to know your personnel and put together a plan that they can execute. Yeah. Outside of what your ego is telling you. And the other thing is with Urban Meyer, and he's cited his health numerous times. And it's like the NFL is. Yeah, brother, I don't know if you want to do that now. If you. I don't know if that's the league for you. So it's a lot of stress. Going. Yeah, like, <laughs> Ask Gary Kubiak. Right. Good example. Also this while we're talking about coaches. Again, Stephen Y. DeSager bringing up the hard-hitting stories as he always does. Tom Herman out at Texas. Steve Sarkeesian in. Now it stands out to me, okay, Tom Herman was 32-18 and 18 in four seasons at Texas. So if they want to move on, okay, I understand that. But who they move on to, Steve Sarkeesian, he's been 47-35 and 35 as a head coach at Washington and USC. And you look at him being the offensive coordinator at Alabama, that boosted his, his value. There are all these schools that want to tap into that Alabama magic. You know, Do you remember the old MTV show, Ephraim, Pimp My Ride? Mm-hmm. Great show. Someone would bring in this beater of a car and they would just deck it out and put all these bells and whistles on it. It's a great show. I think Alabama is like pimp my resume. I think that's what it is. Because you had Sark, who was 47-35 and 35 as a head coach. He goes over to Bama, Lane Kiffin style. He's an OC for two years and boom, presto. Now he's the head coach at Texas. Major university. I think that's what Bama is for a lot of those coordinators. They just spruce up their resume. Just boom. Bama? Saban? Championships? Nice. Cool. Yeah. Rings? Interested. Yeah. So Sark takes over. You think that's a good move by Texas? Yeah, why not? It's kind of the backup quarterback syndrome, right? It's like if Tom Herman was a starting quarterback, he was struggling. And there's this tendency to be like, throw in the backup, right? It could be way better. It's like, it's true, but it could be the same or worse. And I would argue that Sark has been worse in the past than Tom Herman has. So I, I don't know how it's going to be much better. You just, it, 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 college is all about recruiting, man. So you got to bring somebody in who recruits are like, okay. Yeah. Texas hasn't had that in a long time. That's true. A long time. All right, coming up next, we close it down in style. A little bit on week 17, and also, I want to get your thoughts on this, big man. Possibly a very unconventional move by a team that, uh, you know, I might have some love for. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what you think about this. I'm Brian No, He's Ephraim Salam. This is Fox Sports Radio. I'm Brian No, He's Ephraim Salam here on Fox Sports Radio. Top of the hour, Arnie Spanier, Aaron Torres. Absolutely keep it locked here on FSR. By the way, shout out to my guy, Chef Boy Arnie. Arnie Spanier pulling an impromptu fill-in shift with Chris Plank last night. I was filling in Ephraim, and 15 minutes before the show started, boom, power gone. Gone. And I'm like, um, 
well, that <laughs> that isn't good at all. So I called my sister. It's 1.45 in the morning. The shift starts at 2 o'clock Eastern, right? And I'm like, uh, there's no power here. What, what do I do? And she's like, come over to our house. We've got a generator. So my brother-in-law, he gets up out of bed, fires up the generator. They're outside. Like, I don't know what the temperature was. It's in the teens, right? And then I, we got power, and I was good to go. What a brother-in-law, huh? What, what a, a family. What a guy. It's helping you in your hour of need. But yeah, Arnie Spanier and Chris Plank, they pulled a little bit of extra time last night while I threw everything in a car and raced, <laughs> raced over to my sister's to do a, a fill-in show. So there you go. But anyway, listen to Arnie and Aaron Torres at the top of the hour. Got a tweet here I want to read to you real fast. This is from Grove. And he just wrote, I swear this guy, the no-show, SMH, hashtag Ravens flock. So he disagrees with my assessment on the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in good fun, man. I, By the way, big man, if you look at the Week 17 schedule, have you uh, glanced over there who uh, the Ravens face tomorrow? Have you seen that? Yeah. That would be the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. And let me just tell you right now, after what you had to say about the Steelers. If. Go ahead. Finish. Losing to the Bengals. <laughs> if the Ravens lose tomorrow to the Bengals, my prediction is you are going to formally request a new on-air partner. That's what you're going to do. You're going to go straight to Don Martin and I'll, Scott I'll Shapiro and this. say, I, I can't do it anymore with if, this guy now. If I haven't done that already, <laughs> then you're safe. Okay? Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, yes, if, all right. If, if I have not done that already, you don't have anything to worry about. Okay, but we don't know. There's a piece of information missing, whether you have or haven't. Well, you know. you got to keep that close to the vest. I get it. I understand. I haven't. I'll just tell you that. Okay. That's nice of you. Because I feel and I pride myself on being compatible with there anybody. There you go. And I tested that. I tested that you whole approach tested of yours. You tested the hell out of it. <laughs> and That's what I do. I want to see if you're truly committed to that lifestyle. You know, I. it's for you. All of this is for you, big man. Yeah, you. I, I've I've learned that I could. You could put me anywhere on the planet Earth with any group, any person, and I can be number one, still dynamic, and a great teammate. Wow! Listen to you. Okay, let's get to this, big man. I'm curious what your thoughts are. If you look at now, this is months away. The NFL draft. You're gonna have Trevor Lawrence go number one overall to Jacksonville. You might have Justin Fields go number two to the Jets. Mm, Carolina just scores. I know it. Long touchdown. Hmm, imagine that. Basketball mm. school. Mm. Mm. Crazy. It is a basketball school, but go it ahead. It is, but they can still do things in football. Mm. Number three right now, the Miami Dolphins. Now, just indulge me for a second. Okay. I still think Tua Tungavailoa can be a good NFL quarterback. I don't know that, though. And I'll tell you this. The Miami Dolphins, if I'm in their shoes, if they really like a quarterback prospect, if they really like Zach Wilson, draft him. Draft him. Because you know as well as I do, quarterback is the most important position 
in the NFL. It is vital to have a franchise quarterback to be a Super Bowl threat year in and year out. There's a chance Tua isn't that guy. And so if Zach Wilson is sitting there and the Dolphins really like the guy, I would draft him. And you have a better chance of one of them panning out. So I would go in that direction. And there's an argument on the other side that makes a lot of sense where, hey, use a number three overall pick, get to a weapon, surround him with talent. He can still get the job done. I, I listen to that argument and it makes sense, but I'm not putting all my eggs in that basket when we have this rare top five pick. I don't know when they're going to be drafting like that again, if ever. They've won 10 games already this year. So I go QB. What do you say to that that way of thinking? Do you think it's crazy? Yeah, I think it's crazy. I think you get more pieces <laughs> to help the guy that you, you drafted in the first round the year prior who's shown promise. Now all of a sudden it's you're a, like, a Tua believer? No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I said this year I'll take Justin Herbert over Tua. It, that's what the argument okay. was. All right. Yeah, that's true. While okay, you're but, screaming Tua, 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 I'm like, Tua, yo, look. Tua. Look at what Justin Herbert is doing. Goodness gracious. Yeah. There's separation right now. But with that being said, you still believe yeah, Tua can I do. be that guy. I do. I think you continually have to support him. And by support him, I mean put pieces around him to make his life easier. Mm-hmm. All right? That's what you need to focus on. Right? You need a real bell cow running back. Sure do. Right? You need one more offensive tackle. Get him a receiver. Get him a receiver. And let's let's see what this kid can do. I hear you. Not a quarterback. I'm going QB. Nah. And that doesn't mean I'm necessarily getting rid of Tua. Well, you're going to you be can a trade GM one of the for guys. a short amount of time. Yeah. Shortest GM in, in NFL history. <laughs> happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you and everybody listening. Everybody have a great day. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct, but most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.